2: see what Susan has to share with us this evening. Thank you, and welcome,
4: Susan.
3: Thank you, Justine, and welcome, Sarah Ellen.
4: Hi, Susan. How are you this evening?
3: I am still enjoying frost-free weather. Amazingly Mm. enough, yeah. Still walking around barefoot and picking cherry tomatoes.
5: Denzel,
3: no, and all those good things. Really, truly no frost. In fact, it hasn't even been below 40. Wow. I still have I my spider it. lilies and my jasmine and all the really tender things are still sitting outside soaking up the sun.
4: Wow. And they we
3: probably won't frost for another week yet. Mm. So quite, quite the warm October. When Jujana Budapest came to town, and we invited her to come to town. Um, I was part of the group running the Woodstock Women's Center, and we invited Jujana to come. She was doing a tour of the United States. And she, at the end of her talk, said, who is going to stand up here and allow me to tie a red string around your waist and say three times, I am a witch, I am a witch, I am a witch. And two other women stood up. And the three of us became the coven of the warm November, because that was an mm-hmm. also a year in which the autumn lingered and was very, very warm.
0: Mm.
3: It was not so warm. In February, which is the time that is supposedly appropriate for initiating yourself. It's supposed to be done in wild water. Of course, in the Catskills, we had to break some ice to get to that wild water. But fortunately, we're just a few footsteps away from a warm fire, even though it was a very cold thing to do. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Uh (laughs) This weekend... We uh, took a about an hour's drive through the beautiful Catskill Mountains, and of course, even though we haven't had the f- a frost, the trees are saying, "Well, you can't fool us. We can. We can read the light, and it's going to be winter soon. So we're just going to turn our leaves pretty colors and throw them on the ground for you, and it's just glorious. Mm-hmm. Seeing mm-hmm. all that, we were. Real- driving, you know, up into, deeper into the Catskills. And there was one beautiful mountainside across from us. And most of the trees were still mm, kind of green or green going toward a little yellow or even bright yellow. But there was this one tree on the hillside. The whole tree had turned bright red. I said, you know, if you mm. looked at like a painting, you would think, oh, that was a mistake. Like somebody dropped some red paint there. Mm, it was so stunning. And we went up wow. to um, we went up to a farm that specializes in growing wound healing plants. They grow comfrey, calendula, and arnica. And wow. every once in a while, they grow hemp. So it was very interesting to see what they were doing and how they had cultivated the land and to see his beautiful hybrid comfrey plants exactly where mm. he planted them not taking over at all we yeah yeah talked about um how distressful it is that they're selling comfrey seeds please mm. please don't don't plant comfrey seeds. You will be so sorry if you ever plant a comfrey seed. And don't throw them, if you've already bought them, don't throw them in your compost.
4: <sighs> it is amazing. Sure how it
3: impossible it is to get rid of comfrey stories.
4: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A lot of people are selling comfrey seeds now, it seems like. I know.
3: So yeah. you heard it here and you heard it true. Don't buy comfrey seeds. You do not want comfrey that sets seeds, because think about it, if it that seeds and you miss one, that's a comfrey plant that you can never get out. Remember, this is the plant that is impossible to dig out, because where you dig it out, six more will grow. Hmm. Yeah. So his comfrey plants are exactly where he planted them. Um, what would he say he's been there 11 years, something like that?
0: Yeah, and
3: they're they're very neat in rows, he uses some leaves, so he just, he does a pretty severe um, cut, Uh, looked like about three inches, three to four inches up from the ground, and just like pretty much cuts it all, and uses that makes salves. Hmm,
4: how many times a year you?
3: He can do it twice a year.
4: Okay.
3: And then each plant. Because we were just there, had a nice shovel full of well composted compost shoveled on it after the last cut. So it was just cut and then a shovel full of compost put on it, and now it's ready to get through the winter. Ah. Uh, no. So <clears throat> I asked him uh, why he got into Comfrey, and he actually gave me two stories. He said that his wife had been in a bicycle accident and had an injury that was very painful, very difficult to heal. And of course, our friend Comfrey healed it for her. And then he was waking up in the morning with like frozen hands. His hands were all like um, kind of pulled into claws. And yeah. And he soaked his hands in comfrey. Oh. himself.
4: Beautiful.
3: And they decided, you know, they had to share comfrey with the world.
0: And oh. I,
3: I I just had a wonderful timing up there, and he gave me a whole slat of arnica, which I'm going to plant and see if I can grow some arnica too. And um, we picked a wild salad for him and had some of our goat cheese. I made some sourdough bread. So you just had a wonderful time, but I also had a, I can't say little, I had a very big ulterior motive. Um, I want him to put on the Comfrey Conference. Wow, fun. I think we have enough people who could talk at length about their experiences with Comfrey to fill an entire weekend or an online event, you know. Mhm. Yeah. It doesn't really matter, yeah. You know? I would love to have Rosemary Lab talk about the um what happened when they picked um Comfrey from the east coast, west coast and the Rocky Mountains and sent them off to the lab to be analyzed. Did they mm. just analyze pyrolicidides, which they found to be extremely low? I would like, like to hear David Hoffman talk or to give us permission to replay his talk, which he did over 10 years ago, about why pyrrolizidine alkaloids don't matter at all because the human body doesn't interact with them.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: I would like to hear Aviva Rom talk about what on earth has gotten into her that she's so terrified of comfrey. Oh. She wouldn't give me an endorsement for Abundantly Well, because I mentioned Comfrey in there.
4: Oh, wow. wow! Right?
3: Aviva and I have been friends for a long time, and I trust her and admire her, and if that's the way she feels, I want to hear more about it. Mm Mm-hmm. What's what, what her experience? Does she wonderful. she have anything? I mean, I literally don't know of any real evidence of anybody coming to harm from comfrey. So let's you know, let's hear from Eagle Song. She has amazing comfrey healing stories. Let's hear from Astrid Groves, the midwife who's been using comfrey leaf infusion with pregnant and lactating women for decades. This is one of the real gifts. That we have right now, as we restore herbal medicine to its rightful place as people's medicine, is we have more and more people who can speak from their hearts and from their experiences, not from what book, so, what some book said, mm-hmm. but from their own experiences. And granted, there's a difference between personal experience and a double-blind, placebo-controlled study. But the fact of the matter is, I was just reading an article in which a researcher said that more than half of the surgeries and drugs that are done and prescribed have not been tested in the double-blind, placebo-controlled study. Mm. And as we all know, healing is not merely a matter of facts. And the fact that something works for you doesn't mean it will work for me. Um, But that's true of drugs, too. The fact that a doctor prescribes it doesn't mean it will work for you.
4: Yeah. We are all individuals. Very different. Well, not
3: that different. Everyone responds to nourishing herbal infusions. Mm. We're all made of the same stuff. Yeah. We are unique, and yet we are, at the same time, all absolutely the same.
4: Yes, and the way our body is so wise to seek the nourishment when it's offered is amazing. Well,
3: um, our guest tonight is uh, doing us something a little different than our usual guest. David Nolson is the DJ of Jaw Works Radio, a radio show and podcast dedicated to spreading the message of one love through the power of word and sound. It's a mystical journey set to the heartbeat of reggae. So you stay tuned right here with us until 9 o'clock or go do something else and come back and you'll get to hear David Nelson talking about job works and his uh, connection with Chaka and Maka and all kinds of stuff.
4: Yeah, looking forward to this. Sounds so interesting. I remember when he called one evening and sounds like, sounds different and fun. I love it. Yeah. Do we have anybody with questions tonight? Uh, We have one caller who has pressed one to queue up with a question already. I'll remind everyone else listening, if you have a question for Susan this evening, please press one to get yourself lined up in the queue. Our first caller is calling from the 907 area code. On the 907, you are live with
0: Susan. Hey, Susan. Hi. Okay. What's up tonight? Hi. Well, I have to go for a root canal on Thursday, and I am absolutely petrified because I, I have this thing with my throat that I'm going to, like, choke to death when they work on me <laughs> because I can't swallow. And I was wondering if you had any type of meditation or something I could think about because this, uh, I'm just totally freaked out about doing this.
3: I totally hear you. And interestingly enough, I was just reading an article about root canals, in which it said that it's really important to ensure that the dentist puts a rubber sheet or a barrier in your mouth. Um mm-hmm. so that little bits of tooth and stuff don't get scattered all over your mouth.
0: Yeah, that's the thing I'm afraid yeah, of.
3: That's the <laughs> thing you don't that's exactly the thing that you probably don't like.
0: <laughs> yeah.
3: So there's a variety of different things that you can do. a couple of things that don't really have anything specifically to do with what you're asking that I would do is that I would start taking echinacea tincture right now at least twice a day okay and then I wouldn't um take any antibiotic that the that was prescribed to me unless you're already in the midst of a severe infection no okay
0: the the nerve, part of the nerve is dead.
3: Is dead exactly. So mm-hmm. start taking echinacea right now is what I would do to protect myself against infection. And I would continue taking it. And if I felt there was any infection started, I would take it more frequently. I would take a full dose at least twice a day. And then after the root canal, if I needed to, I would increase the number of times that I took it. I would also, if you're not already. Brush my teeth with yarrow tincture, and mm-hmm. I put a little yarrow tincture right on the area where they're going to do the root canal, and especially right before that. Even if you feel like it going into the bathroom and putting some on, I mean, literally right before, or that the morning before, whatever you can do.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: So
3: those two things, those are not directly going to influence how you feel. I believe will give you a lot more confidence about what's going on and your strength in the situation, which will then hopefully create an atmosphere in which you can give yourself entirely to the procedure. Let's face it, someone else is going to be working on you. There is nothing you can do. Exactly. <laughs> right? Really lay back, relax, and enjoy. How often in our lives have we wanted someone to pay such close attention to us? And here... <laughs> at least one, you know, highly trained person and and possibly even with an assistant is focusing on you. Bask in it. Enjoy it. And absolutely trust that you have chosen the best person to do this job for you.
6: If you want
3: or need something To help you relax, different people are accustomed to relaxing in response to different things. All living things feel stress. And all living things seek a way to relax. Right. Alcohol is one way. Cannabis is one way. Meditation is one way. Herbs that relax us is one way. So one I could of the strongest an and easiest visualizations that I know is to choose a color. You mm-hmm. want to choose a color? Best, while you're in the chair because you need to be able to look at it. So it doesn't do to choose the color green if the ceiling you're looking at is blue. So you're going to choose the color. And whenever... Difficult thoughts come up. You're going to say the name of that color, and you're going to look at that color. You're going to flood yourself with that color. Let's say the ceiling is white. And suddenly you go, I can't breathe, and you're going to go white. And you're going to open your eyes really wide. You're going to take in white, and you're going to think white, 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 white. And you won't even remember what was upsetting you. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Very simple. Very direct.
0: That's very good. See, this is like very kind of traumatizing because my dentist retired in May and I have the new dentist.
3: So So you don't necessarily trust this dentist because this dentist (laughs) and you don't have a relationship.
0: I don't have a relationship. And you know something? I've gone through six dentists. The one that retired was—that was the man. And here we go. <laughs>
3: what do other people say about this dentist?
0: Um. They said that uh, he's kind. Now, what are they going to say? He's good. <laughs> <coughs> <laughs>
3: Okay. Well, so, you know, my we physician said to me, kind hands make stinking wounds. Oh.
4: <laughs>
3: no,
0: please.
3: You don't especially want a kind person to do a root canal.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, but yeah, I'm a type. If, if there's no connection, I I move on. I, I, Do you have a connection with this person? I, I met him a couple of weeks ago, and he was, eh. It was something simple that he did. Uh, you know, I can't really judge, but he's going to be doing the procedure Thursday. How many root canals has he done? Excuse me?
3: How Not many, root, many root canals has he done in his life?
0: Well, you know, he was working at the Natives, um, the the hospital for the Natives, Uh so he was getting lots of people.
3: Who needed root canals?
0: Root canals, and yeah, I was talking to one of the nurses, and she was telling me that some of the Natives, you know, they, they would come in there, and they were like literally shaking, you know and uh, he was the one that did that Shaking with fear that about the dentist? Is that what you're saying? Excuse me?
3: Shaking he was, with yeah, fear was, about the dentist? Is that what you're saying?
0: Yeah. Yeah, the natives okay. were, you know, they were coming in there, and they were like, oh, you know, you're going to, just total fear. And I, and I can't blame them. <laughs> you know, here they are. They're, you know, some of, the, some of them, you know, first-time visits. And this is the dentist that dealt with the natives, and then he left there, and now he has his own practice. He took over my dentist practice
3: I'm curious so, curious as to where you live.
0: Oh, I live in um Alaska.
3: Got it so one of one of the easiest ways to decide if someone is skilled is to see how often they've done something
0: that's it and if they've
3: done something a great many times then they will be skilled right right now I sometimes I sometimes say the reverse to women bad midwives because there is a guardian angel of midwives that hoovers over the first hundred births, and nothing bad ever happens during the first hundred births. So you want to get into be one of the first hundred births that a midwife attends.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: If something's going to happen, one in a hundred times. Right.
0: Right. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, right. From the it's very rare that, that a
3: novice midwife is going to have. Some big, horrible thing happened in the first hundred births that she attends. Extraordinarily no. rare. So, there we're going to trust the training and the the luck of the innocent.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: mm-hmm. But with anything else, studies show that the more often the procedure has been done by that person, the better they'll be able to do it. Right,
0: right. Um, so it sounds yeah,
3: good. I'm, it sounds like you have some yeah. basis for trusting this person and that you mm-hmm. don't want to run screaming away from them.
0: No, 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 no. No, I, I, I spoke to one of the most places in
3: Alaska. It's not as though you have 50 choices.
0: Right. <laughs> I've been around the block a
3: few times. Yeah, exactly. With <laughs> well, if she's already gone through six sentences. This is the last one in town.
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah, I can imagine what the chart looks
5: like, really.
3: <laughs> <laughs> it's quite okay. I admire you for sticking to your guns and not working with somebody that you don't feel comfortable with.
0: Exactly. I mean, I had one dentist, and he told me that there's – he said, I'm sorry, I cannot treat you unless you go under – what is that called? Sedation therapy.
3: I I said, no. What
0: what, what, what kind of therapy? It's called sedation therapy. I said, no, I'm not doing that. And I said, (laughs) (laughs) bye-bye. You can't work on me. (laughs) I (laughs) mean – (laughs) <laughs> what, are you kidding me? And, you know, that's an extra $1,000 to give you the sedation therapy. No.
3: Exactly. And he's, he's not working on patients where he doesn't get that extra money. So there.
0: That's ex- that's it. I just, that was it. Good. I walked out, and that was the end of that. Good for you. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so I All would right. do that. Well,
3: I think you have some tools to work with, and would you... Do us a favor and give us a call back at some point after the root canal is done, and reassure us that you're fine and alive.
0: <laughs>
3: <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. Hopefully, I'll be Thank alive you. after that.
6: <laughs> yes, we need,
0: we need to hear from you. Okay, okay. I will call you. All right. Thank you. All right. Great. Bye. Good night. Goodbye.
4: All right, and at this time, we do not have any callers that have pressed one to signal that they have a question. I'll remind everyone listening, if you have a question, please press one.
3: Justine and I had a fun video Monday. Mondays are video days for Justine and I. I told her I really enjoyed it because it pushes me to come up with something. And uh, Mm. being up at the farm where he was growing uh, Arnica and Comfrey and Calendula, uh, I got to talking to him about Calendula uh, because this is the first year that I've had a successful Calendula plant. Now, I've been able to use Calendula because my CSA grows a big row of Calendula, so it's always available to us to harvest. But I hadn't really, like gotten into it too much until I had my own plant. We know how that is, don't we? There's something about having your own that makes it so special. And between what I picked out of my CSA and what I got from my one plant, which because I kept picking it, is now covered in blossoms. I think there's like half a dozen blossoms on there. Um, I made some calendula flowers in coconut oil. You recall? that back in summer, my local dollar store had jars of coconut oil for a buck. And I said, okay, I'm on it. I'm going to do some coconut oil this year. And that we also talked um, a bit, uh, Seth, about um, people having problems with beeswax and that everybody just somehow... Um, seems to kind of gloss over the whole, is there any problem with beeswax problem, and says, just, you know, thicken up your ointment with beeswax. And Asia, who's here apprenticing, um, urged him to make the oils available, because, of course, he makes oils first. He makes... Comfort oil, he makes calendula oil, he makes arnica oil, and then he thickens them with beeswax. And um, Asia said that, that, that she really appreciated uh, places that made the oils available to her so she didn't have to have the product that had the beeswax in it. And there are other people who have other gripes about the beeswax. But coconut oil, of course, gets around the whole problem so neatly by its ability to be liquid at body temperature, and solid at room temperature, especially in the Catskills. Mm -hmm. I remember the first apprentice who brought me some coconut oil. She was from the islands, and she gave me the coconut oil, and as she gave it to me, she looked at it, and she gasped because it was solid and white, and she had never seen it solid.
4: Oh, wow. <laughs> right? Oh, piece of here. Yeah, yeah,
3: here it's half the year. Yeah. Good. <laughs> wow. Uh, so, since Justine was here, I couldn't just, you know, rely on, here's my calendula oil. We will strain it out. Mm. So I looked up some recipes and I found some great recipes. Um, One of which was a whole new thing that I had never thought of, which was to whip your coconut oil. Huh. Sounds a little
7: spicy,
3: doesn't it? So I took a whisk and I put the calendula oil in a bowl and I added some a liquefied cocoa butter to it and I whisked it up just like I was making whipped cream, right?
4: Hmm.
3: And I whisked it and, whisked it and whisked it and whisked it and whisked it and it started to do like whipped cream, you know, like the cream, it stops being so liquid and it gets kind of like, um, it isn't like whipped yet but it's, it's getting solid and I kept doing that mm. and yeah, it just whipped up so nice.
4: Wow. And then I put my so jar. Oh,
3: wow. Yeah, and I think we could do that with anything. I don't know if it would work with olive oil. Hmm. And then I took um, some calendula oil and mixed it with a little matcha powder.
4: Ooh. And I made
3: a calendula green tea facial lotion.
4: Oh, that sounds fun. I like that idea. Hi.
3: And, of course, Justine videoed all this. Now, I never know where those videos wind up. And while she's doing it, I'm not sure she's really going to wind up either. Some of them go to the mentor site so the mentor students get to see them. Some of them go, you know, there's an online course called easy Medicine, And it's um, a weekly treat of videos of me and recipes and and written material that you get when you sign up for Easy Herbal Medicine. So it's one of the reasons why we do new videos every single week to make sure that the people who are doing that have those. And in various other places as well. So uh,
4: Hmm.
3: look forward to those. I also made some sage salt. And this is a great favorite thing of mine, especially at this time of the year. It's so easy to convince ourselves that winter is not going to come, but we have to get a grip. And remember, yes, winter really is coming, and all of those beautiful leaves from the mint family plants are going to fall on the ground dead when it gets cold, gang. Right. right, it is gonna happen. So harvest them now and dry them. And then grind them up with salt. And then you have a condiment that you can put on your food. Asia is smelling it. She has a smile on her face. Mm-hmm. I this is sage ground up with salt and then at the end I found a tiny bit of thyme and I put that in there. You can take a little bit between your fingers and tell us what you think about it. Mm,
4: that's so lovely. Isn't
3: it? You wouldn't. You would think sage would be like, ah, oh, but it's not. <laughs> right? <laughs> She's so salt. Sage salt, right? What do you have? You know, rosemary salt, thyme salt. Get your aromatic herbs going. Grind them up together with some salt. Put them on the table because I'm always looking for more ways to get food, get herbs into food, right? Yes.
4: That this is was so, I
3: had a cheese omelet with this sage salt. Ooh, ooh,
4: ooh. Mm. Eggs
3: from down the road, cheese from my goats, and sage salt.
4: I'm in heaven. Yes. They're just like liven it so nice. I love it. I'm going to be doing that tomorrow with the and uh, oh, uh, garden. And I, and I yeah. used three
3: different grinders. I have a very picturesque um, and very effective mill that has a little ceramic blade down in there. It's kind of a – it looks like an hourglass with two glass things. It's a little weird t- to use, but it works very effectively. And then I have another really – Kind of simple, almost like a mortar and a pestle, but it's cast iron. And it's like two bowls and the inner surface of the bottom bowl and the outer surface of the top bowl are scored so that when they, and they fit tight together, so that they grind Mm -hmm. up whatever is between them as you
4: twist it. That sounds like a good one real good really one. simple
3: mill huh
4: yeah Mm-hmm. but of
3: course for the sage which is let's face it kind of tough and fluffy I resorted to my electric mill thank you very much which I got at a, for a dollar mm-hmm. at a yard sale yes it's a coffee grinder but I mm-hmm. use them as herb grinders everybody knows what I'm talking yeah. about right the little yep. electric coffee mill with the top and you push down, and go Wah! that one I used to make a seven-herb cheese Where I would choose seven aromatic herbs And put them in my coffee grinder with salt And use that as the seasoning in the cheese And it was always fun to switch them around So it tasted a little different Right, You you knew it was seven-herb cheese But you never knew quite what you were getting
4: I
5: love this idea. Wow,
4: I'm so excited. I hope it comes yeah. to be here.
5: <laughs> Lovely. Mm.
3: Do we have any and, questions that have come in over email?
4: Yes, um, we have an email question, and we do have two callers that have queued up with questions
2: um, well, online. Well, let them
4: first. All right. Very well. Uh, the first caller that is queued in is calling from the 512 area code. From the 512, you are live with Susan.
5: Hello. Hi, Susan. Hi. <laughs> um, I have a couple of questions about things that I have made. But, uh, um, well, I'll just jump right into it. So uh, right, I have. <laughs> I made um some etinacea and tincture with the dried root. Uh just as per your instructions to do. I think it's an ounce of the root in the in the mason jar. Um, or is it four ounces? But anyway, I did it the it's, way you it's not a
3: weight, it's a volume. Okay. So wait for infusion. For infusion, it's one ounce of dried herb to a quart of boiling water. For a dry root tincture, it's the jar one-third full.
5: Okay. Okay. Well, I think that's about what I did. I mean, it expands quite a bit once it's full of the alcohol. Exactly.
3: It does expand. That's (laughs) why we don't fill the jar more than one-third full.
5: Uh, yeah, <laughs> I made that mistake long ago, actually, when I first tried to do one with dried roots. But um, I heard you say once that you, after you, uh, and I may be mistaken on this, but I thought what you said was that you strain out the I alcohol. Don't. and I don't. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. It's extremely
3: wow. rare for me to strain anything. Okay. Um, Whether it's an oil, mm-hmm. a vinegar, a tincture. I do strain the infusions. Yeah. I don't like drinking all that dried herb in my infusion, so I strain them well, squeezing the herb to make sure that I get the last of everything out of that dried herb before I put it in the compost pile or toss it out on the lawn or feed it to the houseplants.
5: So is there ever a time that you would add water like to the dried root after you have used all of the tincture out of the container? Is that what I heard you say that you do? Okay, that's what,
3: yeah. Um, In a commercial situation, there is an extractor. It's usually a centrifugal extractor, which will get the last couple of ounces of tincture that are trapped in the root. You know, at home we can pour it off. And then we can let it sit upside down in a container. And often, if you just let it sit upside down in a container, you'll get another ounce or two. But there's still more in there. And since we're not going to put it in a centrifuge at home, what I do is fill the now really quite drained bottle. It still has the plant material in there. I fill it full of boiling water. And then I call that tincture tea, and I use it, seeing it as a mild tincture. For instance, a mm-hmm. uh, first caller was asking about some dental work, and I was talking about using Echinacea beforehand, to make sure that her immune system is prepared for what's going to happen, that would be really a good place for tincture tea. Uh, okay. Ordered a half a cup of tincture tea a couple of times a day would be just fine. We're not actively fighting an infection. We don't well, need the, the the full strength of the tincture right there. Or but if i then Oh, okay. If I've been fighting an infection and I'm coming down, I was taking echinacea, you know, six times a day, and now I'm down to twice a day. Now maybe I'm going to stop taking tincture and just take tincture
5: tea. Okay. And uh, so there's enough alcohol left in that preparation to where it's not going to spoil if you just leave it at room temperature? Or do you Generally put it in at the
3: Generally, that's true. I don't refrigerate it. I just leave it out. Occasionally, if I use like half of it, I get some mold on the
5: top. Okay. And then I throw it away. Okay. Um, and then you were just talking about oil.
4: But you know,
3: there's dozens of bottles of stuff going on in my kitchen at all times. So it's yeah. always okay <laughs> with me whatever state something is in. It's like, oh, well, you know. This one needs to go here. This one goes here. This one has survived. This one didn't survive.
5: Right. Okay. Um, I guess my next question was about, um, you were just talking about making oils, and I made uh, two oils with dandelion flowers, and um, one I made with, uh, olive oil and the other I made with apricot oil, I think, because I just happened to have some. And the olive oil, when I opened the jar, it stank horribly. So I think what happened, because I also have heard you say that if it's wet at all, if there's any water on the flowers, that it might uh, mold um, so I'm I suspect that's what happened or maybe the oil went rancid. I actually don't really know. Um but uh it was really putrid smelling. Like I was not about to put the put it on my body and I'm assuming that is not normal. But I am kinda curious if it's supposed to, like what it's supposed to smell like because dandelion flowers aren't particularly fragrant. Like if I when I made Lavender flower oil, obviously it was very fragrant and that turned out really well. Um, but the apricot oil with the dandelion flowers in it um, kind of has like a tangy aroma, like I, not quite sour, but it's, um, it doesn't really smell pleasant either.
3: Flowers in the Astra family. I mean, because they are clusters of many small flowers, hold dew and moisture deep within them. This is one of the things that people talk endlessly about with calendula.
0: Mm.
3: Do you have to dry your calendula? I would say about 90% of the recipes that you find for making calendula oil are going to tell you to either dry your calendula for at least 48 hours before you use it or buy dried calendula. Ah. Because of the difficulty of dealing with the moisture that can get down into those disc florets, especially in something like calendula, where they're very dense. One way around it that I used was to pull petals off the calendula flowers and use those. That works out really well for everybody because the petals are sterile. And they made a really nice, beautifully dark, brightly colored oil. And then the little flowers were left to reproduce and make seeds so that I get more calendula next year. But if you want to use the whole flower, and I did use some whole flowers, the ones I picked out at my CSA, I simply broke them into pieces. I broke them open and exposed them to the air for a short while to make sure there was no moisture deep inside
5: I see. So, so
3: you can not. you can do that with any flower in the aster family, the, formerly the compositae family, to help deal with the moisture that is always going to be part of your oil-based preparation if you use fresh plant material. And this was one of the reasons why the farm that we were at this weekend, although they had access to fresh comfrey, fresh arnica, and fresh calendula, dried them before making the oils with them. The oils were made with olive oil, dried comfrey, olive oil, dried calendula, olive oil, dried arnica. And he showed us the dried arnica and the arnica when it dried went all the way out to its like fluff stage like the dandelion does. So what he said was I have to work from the dried plant material because I can't have a single drop of moisture in my ointment or it won't have a good enough shelf life. And I completely understand. Making things for myself at home I don't need to have shelf life. Mm -hmm. I didn't make a quart of calendula oil. I made one dollar jar of coconut oil of calendula oil, which made a lot of calendula oil products for me by the time I was done playing around with it. Mm -hmm. We're making things for ourselves so we can have more fun with it than if we were um, trying to uh, make it be an item of commerce. And, of course, also means that those items of commerce, as a consequence of the hoops they have to jump through, can't ever actually be as good as what you make it up.
5: Right.
3: Right? So when you put your dandelion flowers in the olive oil, was it a
5: sunny day? Were there bees on the dandelion blossoms? Uh, possibly, yes. I imagine it was sunny. I'm in Austin, Texas, so <laughs> it's sunny most of oh, the time. It's usually sunny. And I think, yeah, I'm pretty sure when we were picking them. I mean, it was a while back that I made it. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, and the olive oil that you
3: used, did that olive oil have a particular, particular smell to it?
5: No, it just smelled good. Yeah, it just smelled like fresh olive oil and... um, See, that's
3: that's partly the problem. Okay. It's really better for herbal preparations to use an olive oil that has no smell at all.
5: Ah, okay.
3: Because you get those layers of smells and they don't smell right. I see. So when your nose apprehended olive oil with dandelion in it, it said, wrong. And maybe yeah. it was. I wasn't there. But it might have said wrong even if it was okay because it wanted to smell olive oil and it didn't want dandelion in with it.
5: Right. Yeah. I mean, because I didn't see any mold. That was the thing. I assumed I'd probably see right. it. And so I was really excited because right. it looked perfect. And but I have, it's and really I have, bad.
3: <laughs> I have scraped the mold off the top of oils, thrown it away, and used the oils with no harm.
5: Uh, I see. Yeah, it did not seem like there was anything wrong with it. The consistency was good. The color looked good. I mean, everything looked fine, but it just smelled really. I mean, I I did try to use them actually. I like massaged a little because it's good for sore muscles, right? I mean, that's what I was using it for, and I tried to use it on a couple of people in my house, and <laughs> they just it was too strong. The odor. <laughs>
8: Overwhelming
5: and so it yeah, it didn't really work out. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> but it was
3: okay um, in the apricot oil, which has little or no smell.
5: Yeah, that's probably true. The apricot oil doesn't really have any smell. Yeah. So do you would would then the best I mean, olive oil kind of always has a smell, right? Or is there I mean no. um no, you oh, can get okay.
3: pure olive oil. It doesn't. Pure olive oil doesn't have a smell.
5: Oh, I guess I just always. Hmm. I don't like. Is there something I should look for in particular when I'm shopping for it, or? I mean, I usually just try to get. The safest. You know. The safest
3: olive oils come from Greece. Okay. There All you, right. I'm told. Uh, My son-in-law was in the International Olive Oil Council, and what he told me was that a lot of chemicals are used in Spain on the olive trees, and virtually Uh no chemicals are used in Greece, and because people know this about Spanish olive oil, they won't buy it, so they ship the Spanish olive oil to Italy, where it's bottled in Italy and sold as Italian olive oil.
5: Oh, yeah. Well, you know, if you're
3: actually buying um, organic olive oil, it is, no matter where it comes from. But if you don't want to pay for organic olive oil, then olive oil from Greece is very close to organic, if not organic.
5: So then if you were to open a bottle of olive oil in general, you would just, like if it had a smell, you would think, like, that would be a bad thing, even if you were just going to use no, it. No, it's soup? not a bad
3: thing. No, I'm not saying okay. expecting at all. Okay. okay. Olives, are, olives are put into the press, and it is usually screw press, and we start tightening the screw, and we tighten the screw, and as we start tightening the screw, the olives are crushed. And as the olives are crushed, oil starts to come out from them. And the first oil that comes out from the olives has a very strong smell and a very strong taste and a Very bright color. As a matter of fact, when you taste it, you almost want to spit it out. It is so strong. It almost tastes like there's pepper in it. It's sharp. And the color is amazing. And there's not very much of that. And unless you're right there at the press, on the scene, you're not getting that oil. Mm -hmm. And after that, and there's a certain level of acidity that has, and it's extremely acid, which is why it's so sharp. To the tongue and then that acidity calms down a little bit and as that happens there's still flavor compounds there's still color compounds it's still got a pretty acid taste and that's your extra virgin olive oil that's selling for the fancy prices Mm -hmm. these have individual olive grove names on them and they're getting big bucks for them And that acidity drops down again, and you still have some flavor and some color compounds so the oil might be greenish and have, as you say, a nice olive oil flavor. And that's extra virgin olive oil that we buy. Mm
1: -hmm.
3: As the acidity drops yet further, you now have an olive oil that doesn't have color compounds. It's yellow, and it doesn't have flavor compounds. And it's not very acidic. It's very very smooth, and that's called pure olive oil.
5: I see. So that's the stuff that you'd want to make something with, ideally. Right. Or like top I of the use world. extra
3: virgin for cooking and marinating. All right, but ah, I don't want
5: okay. <laughs> I don't want that smell in
3: my remedies.
5: Yeah, (laughs) okay. I guess I never thought about it, but that makes sense. Yeah. I I, I
3: didn't really know. The the same way, I don't want a mother in my vinegar. I don't want bees legs in my honey.
5: (laughs) Yeah.
3: (laughs) Right. You know, I I put the bee leg honey in my tea while there's lumps of wax and bee legs floating around in my tea, and that's not fun. (laughs) Yeah. But just centrifuge that honey and get those bee parts in that wax out for me. Thank you very much. It doesn't need to be heat treated. Almost all small beekeepers just centrifuge their honey.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: And, you know, raw just means it's going to crystallize. This can be a problem. But the fact well, of the matter um, is most honey is raw unless it's made by a huge place that uses heat to get the honey out and very, very few places do. So, Good good quality olive oil is considered good quality because of flavor and color compounds and acidity. But we're not looking for that when we're making a remedy. And as Part of what I was saying was, and have been saying actually for quite a long time, is let's give up the olive oil. Because it's not really the best choice. Coconut oil solidifies at room temperature. There's all kinds of things that we can choose as carriers to experiment with, including animal fats.
6: Mm -hmm. And
3: animal fats, like the coconut oil, are liquid at body temperature and solid at room temperature and are uniquely syncretic with the human body because we're animals. So animal fat, and we have fat in our bodies, animal fat, and our fat are the same. Oh, my
5: gosh. Oh, yeah, and, you know, I actually have a lot of tallow in my refrigerator. um, And I have seen
3: people making uh, ointments with olive oil and tallow mixed together because Mm. the tallow can get very hard.
5: Yeah, it does. Um, and then I guess, used, well, there's They're kind using tallow
3: to thicken their olive oil rather than beeswax. There's just so many ways. You know, what I love about herbal medicine is it's almost impossible to go wrong. hmm
5: Yeah. Um, well, yeah, uh, I guess, so that's a lot of really great information. Um, I know we've used a lot of time, too. I did have one last question, if I have time for it, or I can call back next week if uh, we've already used it all. For this call. Sarah Ellen,
4: tell us There is one caller With their hand raised at this time Okay,
3: so go ahead and ask
5: Okay um, I also remember Once hearing you say I believe, uh, correct me if I'm wrong That uh, the only passion Flower uh, That has medicinal Value is the Passiflora incarnata um, So far as I know Okay, yeah, and so I have Passiflora lutea, which I just sort of tinctured on a whim. It's the native passion flower vine to central Texas. And then I don't really even know why I tinctured. I just, I, I don't, I like was just tincturing things, and I tinctured that because I had a bunch of it. Um, and I guess I just was thinking that maybe it would have similar properties. Um so I'm I have never
3: to... heard anyone saying that they have similar properties.
5: Okay. So I guess I'm just trying to decide what to but do. with But you can try it. it
4: out, right?
5: Yeah. Yeah, Make I think a remedy with it.
3: it's you know, I check it out. I don't think it's poisonous. I don't think you could yeah. hurt yourself. If you make a remedy, that doesn't work.
5: Yeah, I felt like it was kind of... It did not seem to have the same calming effect that the Passiflora incarnata had in my experience. Um, so then I was just kind of curious, what should I do with it once I have this giant mason jar full of tincture? I mean, should I... Uh, is there something you would do if you were to make a tincture that wasn't really very effective for what you wanted it for? Would you just pour it out, or is there a secondary use? I'd, probably
3: just, I'd probably just look at it as vodka and pour it onto another plant that was... What do I want to say here? Like, I wouldn't take um, vodka from Passiflora that wasn't as calming as you wanted it to to be and put it over an herb that was stimulating. Okay. But I might use it for Skullcap or Motherwort or something along the lines of Passiflora, right?
5: Yes. Okay, so that's kind of what I was thinking. I didn't want to waste it, but I was thinking maybe I should use it Right, of course. We never know. We
3: never want to waste it. And not the okay. least of which is it costs
5: money. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Okay. Okay. Well, um, oh, and actually rosemary tincture. I have rosemary tincture. Would you ever use rosemary in a tincture, or do you just use it? Because I think it's good for memory, right? Is uh, rosemary tincture um, or something you, is it, that the way you would use you know, it for memory?
3: I always, I always hear Isla Burgess. Uh, When I hear that usage, and somebody said to Isla, is this good for that? And she said, what are you good for? (laughs) She said, it's so rude to talk about the plants that way. She said, and, you know, not only that, um, let's remember the plants treat people, not problems. In fact, when somebody say say someone might say to me, you know, what's good for a headache? My response is two little kids in a drum.
5: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that should do it.
3: <laughs> so that good for usage is a strange usage, and your brain believes every word you say. It doesn't have a filter. It doesn't know that by good for you mean bad for. Because mm. that's really what you meant, right? Uh
5: yeah. Yes. Would it would it um do would away with a headache? Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> would right. it run my headache off? You right.
3: You didn't really want it to be good for a headache, right? So Right. If we use drug if we use herbs like drugs, they are. That has been the push of herbal history, hasn't it? That we have wanted the herbs to be more and more and more drug-like until eventually we actually got drugs. And the herbs were pushed to the side and said to be ineffective. And I certainly would not argue that if you are going to put an herb against a drug and say which is more effective, the drug will be more effective. It won't promote health. Mm -hmm. So the more I work with herbs, the less interested I am in active ingredients and single uses. I'm more interested in what does rosemary say to you? And under what circumstances would you ask rosemary for her help? You made a rosemary tincture. Let rosemary guide you in using it.
5: Okay. So then it is... Cereal manufacturers
3: are using rosmarinic acid instead of BHT to preserve cereal. It's one of the most powerful antioxidants known. Let Rosemary speak to you. Yes, interesting things to
5: say. Okay.
0: All right.
5: All right. Well,
0: thank you
5: very much. Green blessings. Good night.
4: All right. And we have one caller that has pressed one to signal that they have a question. Looks like this is a Skype caller. I'm not seeing a number, just a series of ones. So if you are calling in from a Skype or an Internet call, you are live on the line with Susan. Hi, good evening.
1: Um hi, I have a question solid. about hi. I have a swollen left index finger and um it is my ring finger. So I have my wedding band on that finger and um the area around the joint has swollen. Has been swollen for about a week. And um I wanna get that ring off because it's constricting the flow, right, through that finger. I had it checked out by a doctor, and they said, oh, it's from an injury. You bruised it, and um, you should try to get the ring off. But I really have not been able to get that ring off. So I've tried burdock leaf, burdock tincture, linden tea, top resin, cold, ice-cold water, and... I just can't get that swelling to go away so that I can get the ring off. It's driving me a little crazy.
3: I hear you. <laughs> How many hours out of the day are you elevating your hand?
1: Um, I try to at night. During the day, I have a desk job, so I type on the computer a lot. And that is I not good
3: for it. And even yeah. when you're typing on the computer, you must take breaks now and then. You go and get something to drink. You go to the toilet.
1: Yeah.
3: And when you do that, you then hold I that above <laughs> your head. Yes, you hold your hand above your head.
1: Nope, I have not.
3: <laughs> Every moment you are not typing, your hand is being held above your head.
1: No, but I should be. Now I know that I should be doing that.
3: (laughs) Right? Right, that's one of the primary ways to get swelling down. People people would come to me when I was uh, taking care of the wrist. I didn't know if it was sprained or broken, but I knew that it was really swollen. And I would hold my hand above my head for most days, four to six hours out of the day. People would come to me and say, "How can you do that?" And I say, "How can I? How can I do what?" They say, "Hold your hand up there." I said, "I just take my awareness totally away from it. It's just up there. It needs to be above my head. So that's what's happening. And and that's that's what it needs. And if I get really tired, you know, you can rest it on your head. Really, what we're looking for is to get it above your heart." I haven't heard you say the word comfrey.
1: I just bought some comfrey salve tonight.
3: (laughs) All right. Yes. Yes, comfrey salve is going to be your ally. So you're going to put some comfrey salve all over that finger, and you have a pair of nice enough gloves that you could wear them to bed, but not so nice that you wouldn't mind if they get ruined by the comfrey comfrey salve.
4: Oh,
1: definitely. It'll be worth the gloves.
3: <laughs> right. So you put the comfrey salve all over that finger and the ring, and you put the glove on so that it stays in there, encased in there all night long, and I suspect you'll be able to get it off.
1: Oh, thank you so much. That would be such a relief.
3: Good yeah. wedding band. <laughs> and how perfect that you already got the comfrey salve.
1: Yeah, it's just that you were talking about comfort staff um, earlier in the evening, and I'm looking at my staff, I'm like, this is amazing. I just bought this tonight.
3: Wow. Wonderful. And I was thinking about my mom, and when my mom died, and one of the last things she said to me was, I want you to have my rings. And now she's like... You know, five minutes later, and she's dead, and I go to take her rings off, and her knuckles are so swollen. Those rings are not coming off. They've been on her hand 55 years, and the nurse comes in, and I look at the nurse, and I say, I want my mom's rings. How do I get my rings? And he looks at me, and he says, I will take care of it. You go out of the room. Oh. I, I do not know what he did, but when I came back in the room, he gave me the rings. Mm. So you might also want to channel the spirit of that nurse who knows how to get rings off.
6: Yeah.
1: <laughs> Thank you.
4: you well, You had
1: this very interesting conversation earlier about uh, growing comfrey with the seeds, and you said if you seed it, you won't get rid of it. Well, Correct. I had a little bit of comfrey. I was so excited it was growing wild in my yard. And then the woodchucks ate it. I was like, oh, gosh. I was so glad to see it growing. And then the woodchuck came and they chopped it down. Uh, where do you live? In the Catskills.
3: It was not growing wild in your yard, you're wrong.
1: You don't think it was doesn't grow wild? wild here.
3: No. Okay, absolutely so it does not grow wild here.
1: Okay, so somebody, somewhere the seeds, maybe the birds dropped somebody's comfrey seeds.
3: No one in the Catskills grows comfrey from seed. No? No. Okay. I don't think you saw comfrey.
1: Okay, maybe it was not. I could be
3: wrong, but I don't think you saw comfrey. I have a hard time finding bosom, too. If the woodchucks ate it, then it would grow three times bigger.
1: Oh, then it wasn't comfrey. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Then it was
3: not. It didn't come back. A woodchuck cannot get rid of comfrey.
1: Oh, okay. Remember,
3: I was just at a comfrey farm, and the way he harvests it is he cuts the entire plant down to about three inches above the ground, everything right off and then puts a shovel full of compost on top of it. And he did that just a couple of weeks ago. And there were all kinds of comfrey leaves growing out of there, right? Every single plant had like six to eight leaves sticking out of it. (laughs) You cannot keep comfrey down. Okay. So I'm not sure what it was you saw, but it probably wasn't comfrey. Was it flowering?
1: No, it was just green leaves. It looked like a country leaf, but maybe I mistook it. Maybe it was a dock.
3: That's what I think. Okay. Okay. Because we got lots so of.
1: So I was ox. excited about that. How about burdock? Isn't burdock very hard to find these days?
3: Burdock is never a plant that grows in big bunches. You will find burdock, however. Always, if you look, especially in places where the soil is rich, around barnyards, roadside edges, compost piles, those are the kinds of places that Burdock likes to hang out. Have you
1: ever grown it, like um, seeded it, to make it grow in your yard?
3: There certainly are burdock seeds available. And um, the ones that you want, if you're going to buy seeds, are gobo. G-O-B-O, gobo seeds. And those are special varieties that have been picked for ease of growing and for good taste.
1: Oh, awesome. You know, Koreans cook with burdock. It's a very common thing there. And you can't find it in the stores here to cook burdock wood.
3: Yes, what they're cooking with are the gobo varieties that I'm talking about.
1: Okay, wonderful. Oh, thank you so much.
3: You're welcome. That was extremely helpful. Three <laughs> Good night.
1: Good night. Thank you.
4: All right, let's meet up with a question by pressing 1. They are calling from the 847 area code. From the 847, you are live with
7: Susan. Hello, Susan. Hi. Hey, good evening. My question is regarding my 5-year-old daughter. And lately she's been having this thing where she's been wanting to pick her skin a lot and like she's picking her face all over the place to the point where she's you know creating all these scabs and we've tried bringing awareness to it in various ways and like you know at night the last few nights we've been putting band-aids over the scabs to kind of keep her from doing it while she's in bed but I don't know I thought I'd give you a call since there weren't many callers and See if you Thank had you. any I'm advice so about yeah, I'm so glad that you
3: called in. Um, often, we pick at ourselves when we itch. And plantain is a wonderful ally to help relieve itching. Okay. One of the things that I found in working with children, especially, I think you said your daughter's five?
7: Yeah, I got on six.
3: Is that this is a time when it's very important for them to feel that they have agency in the world. So...
7: Can you explain that a little
6: more? Yeah.
3: For the first five years, although they're very willful, children are pretty okay with being taken care of and, and follow along. Once they get past five, they have a much greater internal need for things who come from them. And yeah. modern civilization doesn't offer them very much. This is an age at which on the farm... Children would start gathering eggs, helping with the milking, helping out in the garden. They would actually have agency in the food that they ate. And they would begin to develop a tremendous sense of self-worth from doing this everyday work. Asking your daughter to go with you to the lawn to find plantain and making something together with that plantain will give her agency.
7: Well, that's a great idea.
3: And it doesn't have to be that. It could be calendula or comfrey. Since those are the stars of the show tonight. But plantain is certainly the one that I always think of because it has such a, a wonderful gift for those who are itching. Is something biting
7: her I don't think so I think it's mainly she doesn't sleep with a pet no yeah it seems like it's like she'll be lying in bed um, you know like when she wakes up in the morning and she'll just be like thinking about things and picking her face kind of thing
3: can you give her something else to do with her hands
7: yeah. It's a good idea. Give her something. Anything
3: uh, from a fidget spinner to an iPhone to a crochet hook. I'm
7: sure we can think of something.
3: I'm sure you can find something that she can pick at that isn't herself.
7: <laughs> right, that's
3: it. Right. Yeah. Somatically we create our experience of life. So I would also look around to see what's picking on her. Mm-hmm. Something's picking on her and because she wants agency. She's going to pick on herself. But if we can find what's picking on her and help her deal with that or even eliminate it, if possible, then I suspect she won't need the agency of picking on herself.
7: Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, we got to figure it out. What's going
3: on? Let it come to you. It will, once you're
7: open yeah. to it. Yeah, she's definitely you know gone through some changes this year. We we pulled her out of public school, and we're doing more homeschooling stuff. She's doing some some new some new school situations. So you know, she's dealing with some changes. Yeah,
3: and some children really thrive in the structured environment of school. And some children are very stultified by the structured environment of school.
4: Right.
3: And if your child is a child who doesn't thrive in the structured environment of school, then creating a structured schooling environment at home is going to be even worse than having her in school. Right. Better in that situation... To check out how we learn, and we learn by experiencing things, I'm going to, to guess that there are books in your house. Many I'm going to guess that there are periodicals and magazines with color pictures in your house. Oh, yeah. I'm going to guess that there are the materials for creative endeavors, colors, paper, musical instruments, the variety of ways to express oneself in house.
7: Yes, there are.
3: We are not talking about a child who is in a deprived environment. We're talking about a child who can be trusted. To learn and to learn well without any guidance at all, yeah, because that's what
7: yeah that's we all want yeah.
3: that's what we all want to do. We all want to learn it's it, really hard to, to,
7: to know what to do because we you know we all went through public schools and we have all this family pressure to send her to school, and then she's got to learn how to read and do all this crazy stuff. And um. She
3: will learn how to read when she's ready to learn how oh, to read yeah. because she wants to learn how to read. And you know what? One of the things that really solidified my belief in this kind of learning was meeting a young woman who was 16 who had flat-out refused to learn to read. Until she decided she wanted to be a Senate aide and had to pass a written test, and in a couple of weeks taught herself to read and write enough to pass the test and get the job as a Senate aide.
7: Right. Right. right? Yeah, that's how we, that's how we feel about it. This
3: would be different if we're talking about a child in a deprived environment. There are children, unfortunately, too many children where there are not books and periodicals and means of creative expression in their lives. And those children will not benefit from being allowed to learn on their own. That's not the situation with you and your daughter. So what, yeah. is, what is your family's ultimate goal? That your daughter grow up to be a scientist? They want her to go to college? She'll go to college if that's what she wants. Right. My daughter, at the end of first grade, was told that they were going to keep her in first grade because despite the fact that she was reading at third grade level and doing math at fourth grade level, she hadn't been to school enough days. And I said to them, she wasn't at school enough to try none. And she didn't go back to school until she was in sixth grade. And I did not in any way create any curriculum for her at all. Yeah. She dropped out of high school because it was a horrible bore and emotionally distressing. After a couple of years of the workforce, she says, this sucks. And she asked people that she knew would be a good touch to support her in going to the Culinary Institute of America, and we did. Any of us can have any education that we want at any age. Childhood, after all.
5: I
7: totally agree.
3: What a wonderful dad you are <laughs> thanks susan
6: You're welcome
7: i like to be I buddy. like the idea I like the idea of going out with her and creating some kind of like magic remedy that'll help her like not do that. you know, have her do it with us right so then she'll be actively participating in that opposed to us like imposing our will and telling exactly. her what she should be doing. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. All right. Great. Well, you, you got your interview, so I'll let you go do that. All right. Uh,
3: Good night. Thanks, Susan. Good night. Is right. David
7: it does here? Look like,
4: yeah, it does look like David is here and waiting in the queue. All right.
3: David Nelson, who's also known as d is the host and DJ of JawWorks Radio, com, a radio show and podcast dedicated to healing. I bet that's supposed to be dedicated. Let me guess that's supposed to be de- dedicated to healing and spreading the message of one love through word and sound. Each episode is a mystical journey set to the heartbeat of reggae and other indigenous music along with powerful reasoning sessions with inspirational people. Jalworks Radio is syndicated on several radio stations across the world and is a top five rated reggae podcast on iTunes. David is also an environmental educator and owner of 44 of a Sorry, David is also an environmental educator and the owner of a small herbal company. His passion and appreciation for both music and nature is ever-expanding, and he believes they have the potential to truly bring healing to the nations. David spends most of his time nowadays with his beautiful wife, raising their two amazing daughters in the hills of Vermont. As a student of Mother Nature and Life, he enjoys days spent with his family exploring and learning from the forests, hills, and waterways of New England. Always in tune with nature's ebbing and flowing messages, David brings a unique perspective on tapping into the magic of for who they truly are. Untapping the magic of life. This will be a family affair, and all are welcomed and appreciated for who they truly are, beautiful and limitless. Hey, welcome to the show, David.
8: Thank you so much, Susan. How you doing?
3: I'm doing really well tonight. How did you get started
8: doing JawWorks Radio? Wow. <laughs> what a journey. Uh, first of all, I want to uh, just thank you for inviting me on the show. It's really an honor. Uh, As you know, I'm a big fan of you and your work, you and your works, and just appreciate everything you do for us, the people. Um, You in the beginning of the the bio. one love,
3: David, one
8: love. One love, one love, one love. You mentioned the the word livicated, and you said it it must be dedicated, but in fact it, it is livicated because I and I deal with the with life and not death, and so it's it's livicated of the dedicated. So this is the wordplay, the alchemy that you know we have the power and the opportunity and the options to do with with this English language and all the languages of the world. Um, but yeah, to, to answer your question, um, JawWorks Radio started. Um, wow, been doing it for probably about 13 years, but really it started uh probably about going on 18 years ago uh my my radio partner Rossi and I were on a riverside in Colorado and we had already started doing radio we were doing a radio show called the iTow show at the time but we were just chilling on the river you know meditating holding a reason and uh we had an apple and we were eating that apple and uh at the end of the apple we kind of said a, a mantra that We wanted to bring forth something unique and healing to the world. And recently, a brethren by the name of Sugar Minot, Lincoln Sugar Minot, had passed away. He was known within reggae music as youth promotion. And we kind of set forth with a mission to carry on that vision as youth promotion. And we set that apple into the river, set that intention, and watched the apple float down the river and just watched the seed spread, watched everything plant. As it's gone over the last, you know, eighteen, twenty years, those seeds have have sprouted and have have uh, come up as works Radio.
3: All right. <laughs> so was it always reggae, or did you have to find your way
8: to reggae? It. We started with reggae. Yeah, we started with really strictly with reggae because we took over another radio show. And then um, I forwarded on to like Hoopah uh, Valley, California, which is uh, Natinaway people, big up the Hoopah Valley and all the Natinaway indigenous family out there in Northern California. I started a radio show there called Power of Trinity. Um, and then with JawWorks Radio, it was really strictly reggae to start with. And since then, we've really morphed into um, something a little different, something just unique, you know, bringing our own kind of ingredients to the table our own flavor with our own spice and that's like kind of like what you mentioned in the beginning of the description that we not only do the reggae music one drop Nyabingi this kind of healing drumbeat that's you know you hear throughout all indigenous music but we come with other indigenous forms of music and these reasoning sessions we've been blessed to have a lot of people uh, join us on the show and um, just bringing forth, like, different me- their messages, you know, anything that kind of vibrates within how we feel, we're able to invite those. We've been blessed to be able to invite some of those people onto the show and bring forth their messages as well.
3: The idea of a reasoning session might be new to some people. Can you uh, give them a little more information
8: about what that means? Yeah, so a reasoning, you know, it's, it's basically what we're doing right now. You know, it's having a discussion um, an open discussion, one that's one that's starts with love and understanding you know, and understanding, and not no no judgment. And so, it's giving people a time to speak uh, their truth and kind of a back and forth. Um, just you know, it's a, it's an open discussion, basically.
3: Truth does not have a pronoun before it. That's right. Anything that has a pronoun, your truth is not truth. My truth is not truth. If it's truth, there is no pronoun. The speed of light is true. The force of gravity is true. The rest of its opinion and belief. And that's perfectly fine. But let's not confuse opinion and belief with truth, please.
8: That's right. And speaking of belief, uh, you know, beliefs, really when it comes down to it, it's like a chaining yourself up when you have a, a really a belief if it's if it's something, if something do you know it or do you not know it um, a belief can really weigh you down you know if it's something that's so unmovable whereas the truth exactly, exactly.
3: brilliantly said truth. right the truth is the truth it doesn't have a pronoun in front of it and when we understand that everything else is belief now we have opens the door to any change we desire we don't have to change but we can because leaves can be changed and truths can't
8: that's right right
3: and <laughs> and how how brilliant that you uh bring this uh with beat because beat helps to solidify this in our consciousness I think that that rhythm is very important, and you've mentioned it a little bit. Could you speak more about it?
8: Yes, definitely. Um, I fully agree that, yeah, a rhythm, especially so within reggae music, we have something called the naya bingi, and that's really the heartbeat of reggae music, um, but it goes back way before reggae. Reggae, of course, comes from Jamaica. really originated in the 1960s. Uh, it was a mix of, like, indigenous... Jamaican music and an influence of what they were hearing on the radio coming over from Miami which was more like that R&B coming out of Motown and some of these old soul singers combined it into ska which formed into rocksteady and eventually reggae music but the true roots is nyabingi and nyabingi is uh, I wish I had my drum I don't <laughs> I'd play it for you but it's basically a So it's like a heartbeat. And that's... Yeah, that sounds like reggae. <clears throat> <clears throat> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that that really comes from Africa. You know, that comes from Queen Nyabingi out of Nigeria. And so a lot of people don't actually know that, but really that's where that heartbeat originates from. And, um, you know, it's just a natural sound, and it's healing. <laughs> and right now, Susan? Well, no, I, you know,
3: I've got to ex- admit that I really think that heartbeat sound originates with our mothers, mm. Hmm. floating there, yes. Yes. inside <laughs> her belly, and what we're hearing is Oop.
6: Oop.
3: Oop. and I think that that queen heard it, but I think every single one of us hears it and that none of us can claim the heartbeat for our own, because really, isn't it just the heartbeat of the earth?
8: Wow! So right, so right. It is, and that's why it's, that's why it resonates, you know, so deeply, um, you know, right within people. Because we, you're so right that there's not a human on earth that didn't hear that from the point of conception. Mama's heartbeat. Big up, Mama.
3: In the womb, I feel the heartbeat of my mother in the womb. I feel protected and safe, and that heartbeat brings protection and safe in my green goddess week, and the green goddesses spend one night in which, from sundown to sunrise, they drum a heartbeat, taking it by turn.
8: Wow in uh within the the rastafari tradition we they have a thing called groundation and this is some it's like a it's a get together uh it can be a reasoning it's something more than just a reasoning it's a uh, it's a ceremony that lasts sometimes a week maybe even two weeks and sometimes when we have these ceremonies we'll have people playing the thenyayabengi drums the kete the fete and the drum beat that drum beat that we that heartbeat it might go on for that entire time. Non-stop. That, that Isn't drum beat that continue for 7, 14 days at a time. Non, it'll, you know, of course, yeah. people will switch Non-stop. out. My German
3: apprentices were a little kind of skeptical about doing this overnight heartbeat drum, but once they had done it, I could not get them to stop, and they continued to drum for the next three days.
8: Wow. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> That's beautiful. And Susan, um, I'm sorry. And I'm I just taught
3: meant- while well, they were drumming. Not a problem for me. <laughs> you can do anything with a heartbeat behind you.
8: That's right. It gives you so much energy. It's the energy right there. Yeah, yeah. So you're touching
3: the world um, through the rhythm. You're touching the world through the heartbeat. You're bringing this heartbeat and the sounds of um, people who are opening themselves To nature, out Mm -hmm. into the world. What does this feel like to you?
8: Oh my gosh, it's really amazing. Um, There's a reason that I keep on doing it, and I've been doing it for so long. And we have, we always say, "Jaw works can't stop jaw works." It's like a mantra within the within the uh, the radio show. And it's been attempted, I will say that, (laughs) but but never never went far. So we've we've been able to continue because it, it is just it's so fulfilling and we're lucky to hear a lot from the family, you know, people just responding. We've made so many friends throughout this journey. We have a partnership. We have a radio station in Nigeria called Onyx FM, and they also run a school for, uh, for children who can't afford to go to school there because you've got to pay to go to school in Nigeria, at least in Calabar in this, this uh, Cross River State's capital. And so the school is primarily people who are children who have lost their, their, their parents, kids are on the street um so it's these kind of experiences like every christmas we have them on and the kids come on and they they like that's what i'm talking about when that's and that's that youth promotion that we've been doing since day one uh since we put that apple into the river and so um linking up with these like it's called the revival academy school again out of uh, calabar nigeria and so we've been able to link with this school and this radio station out there and having the, the, especially when the youth come on and they just shine their light so bright and uh, my daughter Camila comes on who's gonna join us tonight. She was on uh she was on when we called you up that one night, Susan, and she of course is, you know, a huge fan of you and Monica Jean and she's gonna join us tonight too. She's got something that uh that she prepared that I, I wanna make sure we have a few minutes for at some point. Well that's great. You wanna do that now or do you wanna wait? Let's do it now because uh she yeah, is let's so do it now. I wanna make sure it's so she's in, in bed already but um for the family listening who haven't heard us before Camila, who's my five year old daughter uh i also have a one year old Natalia and these are both of course beautiful magi's, amazing 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 anyway um she and i called up probably about a month or two ago to susan's show and and she was on with me and she's she's amazing so i'm gonna i anyway she's already gone to sleep but i did record something with her earlier i'm gonna i'm gonna I'm going to compile it up right now. You ready, Susan? I'm ready. All right. Here we go. All right, family. We have with us tonight right here on Susan Weed Radio a very, very special guest. I'm so proud of my daughter here, Camila. Well, I'm going to let her introduce herself because I know she does it best. So I'm going to pass the mic over to you, Camila. You want to introduce yourself? Tell us your name and how old you are and where you live? Uh, my
6: name is Camila Nelson, and I'm five years old. Okay. I I live in the East Middlebury area.
8: So, Camila, what is this plant that I'm holding in my hand right now? Tell the people what's this plant here.
6: This is dandelion leaf.
8: All right, that's right. And what else do we have here below the dandelion leaf? What do we have down here?
6: We have a root.
8: Okay, very good. And Camila, today. If we're going to make a tea from dandelion, which part of the plant do you think we're going to use?
6: We're going to use the root. The That's root right. is a part to drink tea
8: That's right. Very good. Now, for the family who's who just meeting Camila, there's one thing I want to say, which is that not only is she a very good herbalist, a young herbalist, she speaks not only one language, but she speaks two. Her first language was actually Spanish as a young child. She learned from her grandparents, uh, Papa Fila and Mama Cleo. Now, Mama Cleo is living with us right now, and so she's been speaking a lot of Espanol again. So um, can you help the family and just tell us, if you wanted to say root in Spanish, how would you say that word root?
6: It's raíz. Raíz is root. How do you say it in Spanish? Raíz.
8: Okay Camila now we got the dandelion I know in the spring and the summer What do you like to do with the dandelion What part do you love love to eat Everywhere you go We
6: like to eat the leaves The leaves are very good
8: right, now Camila If you look at the dandelion leaf Which is magical like you said And so delicious Our favorite snack in the summer and spring Um, If you look at all the leaves What kind of shape do they make here
6: they make a circle. Oh, that's right. Oh, with their leaves.
8: That's right. That's right. All right, so family, this is once again, that's Camila. I'm a very proud papa. And Camila has prepared a, for everybody tonight. Okay, Camila, are you ready to sing the song for us?
6: Los alimentos, los alimentos. Que rico son, que rico son.
8: Camila, that was amazing. Now tell the people, because that was in Spanish. Now, I'm sure a lot of people understand that. Yeah. Okay, she got one other song. Here we go. Here we go. the
6: song Sana sana
8: colita de rana. Okay, this song is called Sana 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 Colita de Rana. Sana
6: Sana Colita de Rana Sino Sana Sana's
8: man <laughs> Yay All right. So Camila, let's tell the people what does that first song, Los Alimentos, mean? Because we know that Susan Weed deals a lot with keeping people healthy, right? She does a lot of work to help people stay healthy, doesn't she, Camila? So and this song actually has to do with that. Um so tell us what is what does Los Alimentos mean?
6: Los alimentos mean is the 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 food.
8: Yeah. And what does the rest of the song mean? Los alimentos.
6: Que rico It's it's very good. The is vitamins. Los alimentos, los alimentos, que son, que ricosos, tienen vitaminas. Tienen Proteína Portejinas is protein. Para crecer es for for you to get more bigger. Para gusto es fenica, how healthy and strong.
8: So before we leave, Camila, um, I have one more question I would like to ask you. Okay, to bring to the family, you spend a lot of time in the forest, right? Yeah. Uh, what have you learned from spending time in the forest, and what what do you think? What do you What have you learned from being in the forest so much that you would like to tell the family about?
6: The trees.
7: Oh.
8: What do you like to do with the trees?
6: A hug them and kiss them.
7: Oh.
8: <laughs> That's beautiful.
6: <laughs>
8: All right, Camila. Thank you so much for joining us tonight, okay? Love you.
6: I love you. Good night. I'm going to sleep. We already had dinner. <laughs> All
8: right. Peace and love.
6: You too. Peace and love. I love you. Me, me, Okay. Okay. I teach stuff. So, big up Natalia, Mama, and big up my and my other grandma, Mimi, and my uh, my grandpa, Papa North, and my other grandpa, Big Poppy. I love you, Papa Fila.
8: Yes. <laughs> so, Pop- Papa Fila is Camila's grandfather who passed away last winter. So we we rise in power to Papa Fila. And uh, woo, that's JawWorks Radio at its best right there, Susan. It sure is. It's Job Works Radio that we
3: all want to listen to. That's great. <laughs> thank you. And thank you, Camila. Uh, how wonderful. <laughs> hey, thank you for letting so, me
8: share. She, oh, that's...
3: you're so welcome. So you are... Um, But also pursuing a path of ecological consciousness, I think.
8: Yes, definitely, no doubt. Well, you know, I so I work in the forest. I I actually work for the Green Mountain National Forest here in Vermont, and so I I spend you know probably like eighty percent of my days, my time in the forest, and it's been that case for a long time. So I've been really blessed to. Just have these experiences uh, with innate in, in mom nature, which is where we belong, which is just which is us. I mean, there's no mm. separate us and nature. You know that's that's like that mindset is is toxic. Uh, we are nature. And, um, that's that's that. And so yes, it's been a blessing. And like, like Camila said, we. we isn't
3: it Joanna Macy who says you are made of the earth, and the earth is five billion years old. at your age. <laughs>
8: <laughs> I love that. <laughs> well, you know, it's like there's a thing now, and it, it's not. I don't want to be negative or, or dissing it, but because there's, of course, there are truths to like population and the way we're living. Okay, is of course unsustainable. That's that goes without saying. But as far as you know, thinking of humans as like a, something that shouldn't be here, or there's, or a uh, Parasite or something like that. It's, it's, it's not healthy and it's, and it's not true. I mean if the earth didn't want us here We wouldn't be here um, We affect the earth and not not in just negative ways of course. Yeah, sure burning oil is not going to be good um, but we the so earth doesn't we
3: really care whether we burn oil or not the earth doesn't care what we do truly That's the what? earth does not care again the earth is five billion years old. We've been here <clears throat> a blink. Say, be when dead. we say non sustainable, we mean non sustainable for us.
8: For us. That's exactly right.
3: For us. But well, it has no impact on the earth of any kind.
8: <clears throat> what I was try- what I was gonna get to was just we talked about the heartbeat before and um Yeah. And that is something that like you said, okay. So it comes from our our. We hear it within our own mama as soon as we're conceived, but the mama Earth, you know, has a heartbeat and has a and has a tone. And so when we can be in in balance with her and play these kind of tones, it's like it's like when you get together with a group and sing a chorus. It's that much more powerful. You
3: know, one of the things that was the most shocking to me as I was able to leave everything I had been brought up with and encounter the larger world and especially as I entered indigenous communities was the absolute right with which indigenous people treat themselves vis-a-vis nature. In other words, It's very much the same as the way my goats are with nature. I have never seen a goat apologize to a plant before it eats it. I have never seen a goat worry about any plant that it lays on. I have never seen a goat feel guilt for breaking a tree. And the indigenous people that I have been with act in exactly that way about nature. And just to give you an example, in New Zealand, the Maori, who are not indigenous there, who came to New Zealand, burned down 4,000 acres and planted a potato. In the next 20 years, they proceeded to hunt every bird that weighed more than a pound to extinction. Yes, indigenous people honor the earth. Yes, indigenous people understand that the earth is sacred, but that doesn't mean they shouldn't use it up. You and I come from a culture that has a different view of this, which is that we should conserve it. Neither answer is necessarily right.
8: I fully agree. Susan, check this out. So you mentioned before I have this small herbal company, right, 44 Parallel Superfoods. And we just have a couple things we do. We have Chaga Mushroom, and we have... Yeah, we're not, we're not going to talk about this tonight. Okay, but listen to this, what I want to bring up.
3: We don't do anything that has anything to do with products on this show.
8: Okay. That's fi- that's perfectly fine, but this, this, listen to what I want to talk about is this. Okay. So the Chaga Mushroom, we are surrounded here in, you know... Any I'm going to have no- a really hard
3: time here because I used to be able to walk into my woods and show people Chaga. And the whole... Chaga idiocy has caused people to come into my woods and steal every bit of my chaga. There's no longer any turkey tail. There's no longer any chaga. There's no longer any medicinal mushrooms in my woods because people have been incited to use these things. What I was taught about chaga was that chaga is used only in extreme situations because it takes 100 years to grow. I do not in any way condone the use of chaga. I'm sorry. Well, I have to respect that. I totally
8: respect that, Susan. It's
3: just totally overused when is and coffee at Starbucks.
8: That's pretty sad. I will say here in Vermont, uh, if you go off a trail, uh, you know, any popular trail, you see it over harvested as well. Uh, if you go off a trail, I've never seen it uh, harvested, actually.
3: I'm but telling you there's that- none left here in the Catskills. None. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah. So, I think it's time for us to stop talking about chaga. At this point, almost all of the chaga that's on the market is grown in China.
8: Ooh. You don't want to deal with that.
3: Well, when we're
8: promoting chaga, that's what we're promoting.
3: I don't like it. I don't want to participate in it. I think medicinal mushrooms are really important. And the early studies at Duke University confirmed that all mushrooms are medicinal.
7: That's right. So we sure don't
3: need Aga at all. There's plenty of mushrooms that are much easier to get. Let's Take the heat off chaga. We did it with cod. We almost fish cod to extinction. We pulled back. We let them get a grip, and we can eat cod again. It's going to take a long, long time for chaga because it can take up to a hundred years for a single fruiting body to appear.
8: Yeah, luckily, if it's harvested sustainable, it'll grow back. But you have, like you said, this idiocy of people who don't know how to, you know, treat it and harvest Right. 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 And so let's,
3: and let's, focus, let's focus people on other
8: mushrooms
3: that are not so sensitive to over-harvesting, and maybe we can come back around to the chaga, but um, I, I'm, ha- I'm less happy with it than a bunch of other stuff. And, of course, you know, you may have a good line on maca, but we also know that there was really horrible things going on with that where uh, Chinese business people came in and bought uh, the maca, the maca fields, and it really um, did a pretty destructive number on the indigenous people because of the popularization of Let's face it, a Peruvian turnip. You can go to your grocery store and buy a turnip, and it has as much power as maca.
8: Yeah, the Chinese, uh, they they GMO'd the maca too. That's what I'm saying. We're talking two plants
3: that have been overused and abused, and we're better off totally pulling back from both of them and looking closer to home. You want to use chaga to harvest there in your woods? More power to you. Again, my teachers would say, you don't need it. They were very severe with about how limited the use of chaga should be. But those were my and I'm around. sure that you've had teachers who feel more comfortable using it. Again, um, I'm sure that any indigenous person would have no problem whatsoever harvesting every last chaga until they were all gone. But I have a, a more conservative view. I like to preserve I nature. I, wa- I, want my, I want my children to be able to go out and see chaga and my grandchildren. With that. Oh and my I gosh! Say, oh, so, my... I have so enjoyed talking with you. I have totally lost track of time. Let's fit in the last things that we need to do. I want you to tell people how to get in touch with you and how to get in touch with Jaw Radio.
8: Yeah. So my email is JawWorksRadio at gmail and the website for the radio show and is Jaw. For those of you who don't know, is J A H Jaw. That's right jahworksradio.com. That's the website for the radio show. And we're on there about once every week or two uh, bringing forth new shows. And you can reach us at JahWorksRadio@gmail.com. at gmail.com.
3: All right. And my last question, what would you like to leave in the hearts of the minds of everyone who's listening to you tonight?
8: I would like to just leave a message of love and respect and honor Uh, We're in a time when there's, you know, there's division on the earth um, and there's people propagating more division amongst this and that. Uh, They've gone beyond religion and race. They're trying to take it to the next level, but that's our true nature is love, and that's where we're always going to end up standing, you know. And so we bring this heartbeat, and I appreciate having me on and having uh, my daughter Camila on, Susan, and keep up your awesome works. Love you. Love everyone listening. All up.
3: right, one love. What you want to leave us in our hearts with is one love because that's where it starts and that's where it ends. And anytime time you feel anything at all, you ask yourself, where's the love? Thank you so much for reminding us of that we're all working together to reweave the healing cloak of the ancients and i so appreciate and honor the beautiful rhythmic colorful threads that you are adding to this sarah ellen thank you for helping me to restore herbal medicine to its rightful place as people's medicine green blessings everybody catch you next week